Thanks for tuning in to Christian Medical and Dental Association's chapel. May the message be a blessing to you. Since I saw you last, we got back from New Zealand. I wish you all could have been along. It was the most fantastic trip. And the, the key thing that we did, uh, one of the key things probably was most memorable to everyone, is we went to Hobbington, Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit. And uh, we had a private tour for three and a half hours one evening. And it was a blast. And probably more pictures were taken there than any place we went to. And uh, it's, of course, it's out on this sheep farm. There's still sheep in the fields. This is a rich sheep farmer because uh, the first movie, when they did Lord of the Rings, they came in and tore everything back down. Of course, when the movie came out, everybody wanted to go there, and there was no there. So when The Hobbit happened back in 2012-13, they reconstructed it, and now there's bus after bus. I think they've said 150 million people have been to Hobbington. And we had a private tour as part of what we were doing. Our travel agent gave us that treat. And you just walk through the village. The interesting thing is, is that each house, if you look at it closely, tells you who lives there. And this one is where the baker lives. You can see the loaves of bread there and the sack of flour. So when they created this, they wanted visually to tell you who, what each of these people did. Even the person that did the laundry's house was noted by the clothesline out back. And you can't get into any of the houses except one. So we all got into that house and got our pictures taken. But they're actually building uh, some more of these hobbit houses. And these you'll be able to actually go into. They were in the midst of that construction while we were there. So uh, it's just a beautiful sight. And from there we walked over to the Green Dragon Inn by the pond, by the gristmill. And uh, we had dinner there. And uh, it is really unique. There's the green dragon over the fireplace as you walk in, the low beams. And uh, we spent probably an hour and a half there and had more food than you can believe. The tables were huge. I couldn't even reach across the tables. And they brought out and covered them with food, more than you could begin to eat. This is just down at our end. This table goes on for quite a way, and there's three or four others. And we spent an hour and a half, two hours eating. In fact, this was just the dessert tray they brought for the six of us, and uh, with fruit and pastries and cakes and puddings and you name it. So we waddled out after that. Um, and actually, we're there till after dark. We walked out carrying lanterns and stood in a circle. We had wonderful guides that told us a lot of the behind-the-scenes stories. And uh, it gives you a little idea of just seeing all these uh, things from a distance. But this was rather a unique one. They're explaining a lot of behind-the-scenes things as you do this. And that big tree up there is actually written about Tol- by Tolkien in his book. Well, they had no big tree up there uh, above the Hobbit uh, village and so they build it that is an artificial tree and they put every leaf on it by hand and then they found out the leaves didn't last very well so they did it again i forget how much they told us this thing cost 
And finally, they've got a fake tree up there with huge limbs and thousands of leaves that's supposed to last a lot. The reason for that is Peter Jackson, who did the movie, is a perfectionist. We heard story after story where they destroyed this and did it again or redid this thing again because it had to be perfect, just like the book. Now, the Hobbit Village is just one of 150 sites where Lord of the Rings was filmed over a couple years. They had seven filming crews working simultaneously. It's one of the biggest and most ambitious film projects ever. It cost $280 million back in the early 2000s. From the time they planned to do it till it got finished, took eight years. And uh, they filmed all three films simultaneously. Then, of course, in 2010, 11, 12, uh, they filmed The Hobbit. So Peter Jackson selected the actors, interpreted the scripts, oversee the rehearsals, ran the shoots, identified the locations, altered the budgets and schedules, coordinating all the film crews he had, and they had studios in Wellington and Queenstown, both the North and South Island. It was quite a production. In fact, when our guides were talking about it, it, it became very clear to us how involved Peter Jackson was in everything that was going on. So I want to ask you this question this morning. Who's your director? Who's your director? Who's calling the shots? Human nature is such that we all have something that we're adhering to. People serve someone or something, maybe something that they desire. I remember when I was selling books door to door, I had two other guys from Asbury with me who were living in the basement of a pastor's house. And one of the guy's dream was to have this blue Camaro. And every night he came home and laid down on the floor and looked at the picture. He was going to earn enough money for that Camaro. It can be the same for us. Maybe for friends you know, it's a promotion or a job title. Maybe you want a bigger house. That's what's driving you. A pool, a better golf handicap. That's one I have no appeal for. I don't play golf, but... Maybe a bigger trout, okay? Uh, a fat retirement account, more money, more spending money, uh, better health, travel, places you want to go. Nothing wrong with any of these things unless that begins to be the driving force. Or perhaps it's someone you love. It's important to love your children, your spouse, but those things can become God. I've seen it happen in, in people's lives. I remember a pastor was looking for a new church and a number of opportunities. You know what the deciding factor was? Which town had the best soccer team for his son? That was what was driving him, not that God had called him there. Uh, I had a physician friend who told me he felt God's call into medical missions, but he wasn't going to do it because it would kill his mother if he took the grandkids overseas. And that was his director in his life. Or maybe yourself is the director. You. It's easy to be self-centered, and it comes all about you. I have someone I know who's a narcissist, and everything is about that person. You ever been around a person like that? They'll drive you nuts pretty quick. But what does the Bible say our director is? God. That's the one that calls the shots, gives us direction, helps us in each situation, interprets what's going on, Let's it see it from his perspective. He has a plan. 
Our divine direction is really written about in Leviticus 27. Sanctify yourselves, therefore, and be ye holy, for I am the Lord your God. The Bible never said, go out and be omnipotent like God, be powerful like God, be omniscient, for I am all wise. It says, go out and be holy. That is our job on earth. That's what our director is telling us. Uh, does holy mean perfect? No, it doesn't. That's a misunderstanding. Holiness is not perfection. Holiness is being completely devoted to serving God. He directing your life, every aspect of it. And uh, the personal holiness in its simplest form is loving God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength, loving your neighbors as yourself. Uh, That's what it means to be totally letting God direct your life and seeking to be like Him, pursuing holiness. To love anyone or anything more than to love God is sin. Simple as that. In Exodus 23, it says that. Uh, It says, you shall not have any other gods before me. And that can be a person, a place, a thing, something that's most important to you. The pursuit of holiness is not an option. It means a complete consecration of your life. I hope and believe that everyone in here knows God as their personal Savior. The question then is, are you pursuing that holiness? Are you letting control every aspect of your life? Are you, as the Bible says, a living sacrifice? Uh, Romans 12, 2, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God. This is what he wants, which is your reasonable service. This isn't unusual. This isn't for saints. This isn't for uh, apostles only. It's for each one of us. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that she may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. It's a decision. It's an ongoing attitude, an ongoing pursuit throughout your life. It's something that God demands us to do. You think of Abraham and Isaac and that story. And what happened is Isaac became more important to Abraham than God. That's why God told him to go put him on the altar. Because it was an issue. And you can understand that. A child of your old age, your only child, men... Boys were very important in Jewish history. In fact, they didn't even celebrate. They came out and sang in front of your house if you're, while the delivery was taking place, and they sang and celebrated if you had a son, if you had a daughter, they went off and did nothing. That's how important sons were in ancient Judaism. And so it's an ongoing process. And God always is trying to take you to that next level of commitment. At least that's been my experience. I've committed, and then God reveals something else to you that you need to commit to him. And and, uh, I've told the story before, but when, when God called us back, how difficult that was for me. In retrospect, being a missionary had become extremely important to me. 
And I had to wrestle with God to put being a missionary on the altar. That was me. That was my identity. That's who I was. That's what I was successful at. That's what was making a difference in people's lives. How could God ask me to do something else? It took me back to surrendering what I love most uh, to Him. So this is an ongoing process. 2 Corinthians 7.1 talks about having therefore these promises dearly beloved let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit perfecting holiness in the fear of God it's talking about the process James 4 8 draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you cleanse your hands you sinners and purify you hearts you double-minded one of the things that can happen is we have loyalty to two things we still love God but we also have loyalty over here and there's this tug of war, this double-mindedness that can happen. And uh, you see it with Christian, seen it with Christian leaders, and you've seen all sorts of people fall because of double-mindedness. Uh, and it's always in the news when it happens to prominent pastors and all the rest of it. But it happens to people we know, and it's happened to people, and perhaps even to you yourself. This double-mindedness can cause all kinds of problems. God says, I want all of you. So why should we follow these directions? And God tells us. First of all, God created us. We're not here by chance. He created you. He created me for a purpose, for this time, for the situations that he put us into. You're at CMDA, not because this is a job and you're getting paid or you like it or you've got good friends here. God brought you here. And uh, he has other things for you in your life. He created you. He designed you. He died for us. That's the other reason that we should follow his directions and pursue holiness. 2 Corinthians 5.15, he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Uh, We don't have the option as Christians to live for our own passions, our own desires. It's our greatest act of worship for God. Greatest act of worship. Give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. This is how we please God. This is how we worship him, not just in a situation where we come to church and sing and pray and and have wonderful feelings and feel God's presence, but it's, it's something that we do daily in every aspect of our lives. We do it because he commands it. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Do, not, do you not know that you are not your own, for you have been bought with a price, therefore glorify your body. That specific purpose is how submitting to him, doing what he asks us to do, reaching out to others, sharing the gospel, uh, worship, prayer, training our children, teaching. All those things are part of his direction for what we need to do in our lives. And finally, a godly spouse for those of you who uh, may not be married and want to be married. Holiness is the key for living an extraordinary life. I'll say that again. Holiness is the key for living an extraordinary life. First Chronicles 16:29. Oh, how great is thy goodness, which thou hast laid down up for them that fear thee, which thou hast wrought for them that trust in thee before the sons of men. 
So it's saying, I've got a plan. I've got goodness laid up for you, something that I planned for you even before you were born. And I think of the people that have had the greatest influence on my life, people that I know and God's brought into my life. And the ones that have done that, people that I love and admire and honor and see them influencing so many people. Why? Because they're living holy lives. They're completely. I, th I think of Paul Brandt, who wrote Fearfully and Wonderfully Made and other books, uh, the doctor who discovered so much about leprosy. And I'll never forget getting in the car and driving him to the airport from San Diego in our national meeting and us talking for 30 minutes. One of the highlights of my life. This, uh, he just oozed God and everything he said. You just wanted to be around him. I think of Dr. Sturry and his effect on my life. And I could go down a list of people who've done that. And then got, what's that turn around to say to me? How am I influencing others? Whose life are you touching? Who is looking at you and saying, wow, that is a godly person, someone who I want to be around and see and experience their impact on my life and walk with Christ. It's the key to knowing his direction, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. I left the 5 out there. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not into thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. That's my favorite verse of Jody. That's her life verse, and it's a good one. Uh, we don't have to be a missionary. We don't have to be a pastor. We don't have to be an author. We don't have to have a prominent position. One of the per people that impacted my life was a man called Mr. Ed. He had worked in some factory. And when he retired, he, he knew my dad, and he wanted, he moved from Michigan down to Wilmore and kept the grounds at Missionary World Service and Evangelism, dad's organization. That was his mission field. You couldn't walk by there without Mr. Ed stopping and getting off the lawnmower to talk to you. He'd be praising the Lord, tell you what God's doing in his life, praying for you, what are your needs. He was a missionary, Mr. Ed. I know Mr. Ed the horse on the TV show. This was a different Mr. Ed. And he impacted my life. He took an interest in me. Dave, how are you doing? And when I was in medical school, I'd get home for the weekend. And Jody's house was down around the corner from where I walked down there and, and walked by where he was mowing lawn or trimming bushes every day and making that place look pristine. And Mr. Ed touched my life. And I'll never forget him. It's the key to fruitful service. It's key to fruitful service. Um, I look back on my life, and, and the things I value the most is how God let me influence people. I had two episodes happen at the Global Missions Healthcare Conference last week. Two people walked up to me, Dean Coles, who he and his wife, who's an OBGYN doc, had been at Tenwick. And... Gene, uh, Dean turned to me and he, while we were there, and he said, Dave, you know the reason we ended up on the mission field was you. I go, what? He said, don't you remember that conversation? Uh, my, my grandmother had us go to World Gospel Mission celebration, and uh, she, somebody there found out my wife is a physician and said, you need to go down and talk to, to Dave Stevens down there at his booth. And I don't even remember the conversation. She said, we went to the mission field because of what you said that day. God used it in our lives. I saw Carol Spears. So you know Carol. She's spoken here. And I um, have a lot of respect for Carol. She was at the meeting. And she started sharing 
how the same thing had happened to her. I don't remember the conversation. I, 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 I didn't remember meeting her or where I met her, but she still remembered that because God used that encounter and the words I said, having no idea it was going to influence the direction of her life. And she's touched thousands of people in Kenya and the UAE. That's what the beauty of this is, is seeing the multi-generational things that happen. You influence someone because God works. You may not even realize it's happened. And uh, you're seeking to influence others because that's giving you that through His holiness and it just shines out to other people as you talk to them. Uh, it, it's just a blessing. And the bottom line is we won't know how God has completely used us until we get to heaven. That's going to be a lot of fun, isn't it? For a billion years, people walking up and say, I remember that day. Oh, golly, I don't remember that at all. Well, maybe we will then. We'll have perfect memories. But, uh, and it's multi-generational with your family. I think how people influenced me, my dad, and all the people he influenced, and how my dad influenced me, and Ernie Stewart influenced me, and then I influenced my kids, and my kids are influencing others, and bringing others to Christ, and they're influencing people. As you let God direct your life, he does more than you've ever imagined, and uh, it's a blessing. It's the key to peace, Isaiah 32, 17. The fruit of righteousness will be peace. The effect of righteousness will be quietness and confidence forever. No matter what situation God puts you into, he can give you peace in the midst of it. Some of you newbies came here after I, I did, but, you know, getting into public policy and debating people and live news and people jumping over, all over you, and you can have peace in any situation. I told this story a long time ago, a lot of new, of you, new ones of you here. Uh, when I was at Samaritan's Purse, we were visiting hospitals in Zambia, and we got there, and uh, there was a missionary pilot that was supposed to take us to three hospitals, and I had Dick Furman, the founder of World Medical Mission, and a biotech, and we were going together, and we went to get to the plane. It was this teeny little plane, I think it was a 160 or something, old Cessna. He said, I'm sorry, my plane's having the propeller recertified in South Africa, so this is our plane. And uh, we can only take 20 pounds of luggage. And I thought, well, that's not too bad. I can take a lot for 20 pounds. He said, no, no, that's for all of us. And then he opened the, the cowling to the plane, and it looked like about the size of Jody's sewing machine under the hood, the motor. And I thought, whoa. We got out on the international strip and took off, and it took us forever to get off the ground. And I don't know. I thought, how is this going to go? We landed at the first uh, hospital just in a field. The next morning, after we had looked around and helped him, looking at projects and stuff that we could help them with, we went out there, and he had the, the nationals pick up the back of the plane and pull it into the bushes. And then he revved the motor, stood on the pedals, and I'm thinking, I don't know, those trees are pretty close. And we go down and get closer and closer, and finally, the last second, he pulls up. And when we landed, we had leaves in the wheel cowlings. He said, I don't think I'm going to try that again. I think that's... <laughs> Good idea. He said, we're going to get a strip further from the, and they'll just have to come and get us, and uh, we won't land near the hospital. So we went to two other hospitals. Things were going well. We had this long ride of the triangle going back, and uh, I was sitting in the back working on my computer, making notes of things I needed to do. Dick Furman was confessing up. He had been hiding Babe Ruth bars, and he gets them out and passes them around. And, you know, long flight is about two, two and a half hours. 
And the pilot's looking at uh, something, and he's got it all trimmed out. And we're just cruising, and all of a sudden, the whole plane shook. And the pilot turned around and said, did we hit a bird? And I'm going, golly, man, you're the pilot. Don't ask me. <laughs> and his hands start flying around. And I had done a little bit of flying in, in college. And I looked, and the altimeter was starting under wine. And he had the throttle all the way out. And he said, uh, we're, we're losing engine power. We're going down. And he said, look, look, look and see if we can find a place to land. And he gets on the radio. Uh, Mayday, 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 this is NZ-468, Mayday, Mayday. And you looked out, and there was just rocks and dead trees, not a hut in sight. It was, it was desert. There were even no leaves on these scrub trees. And the plane just got lower and lower. What would you think? I was sitting there in the back thinking, I may never see my kids again. Never see them graduate Never see them marry, never see the grandkids. Everybody was quiet. Well, the first thing I thought was, maybe if I throw my 20 pounds of luggage out, it'll help. But uh, I, I came pretty obvious that wasn't going to make any difference. But there was no panic. There was no panic. Why? Because we'd already dealt with that before we ever got on the plane. We had pursued God. We had the peace that passes understanding that only he could give. We got lower and lower, and finally we're just about 500 feet off the ground. The motor coughs, oil goes on the windshield, the motor stops, and we're coasting. We came over the last little ridge, and there was the most beautiful sight I've ever seen. Two huts and a dirt road. I thought he's going to set it down on that old rutted road. He was smarter than that. He pulled it right over top of the, of the huts. And on the other side, there was an area that flooded during the rainy season. Big termite mounds, that big as a house, hard as a rock. But there was some level ground before him. Set the thing, triangle gear, he set it back on the tail and dragged the tail across the ground with the wheel up in the air. And we stopped about as close to the mound as that. And the nationals ran up from the huts. They speak English in Zambia. And the first guy there said, thank God you were already dead. And he was right. We'd say, thank God you could have been killed. But we had already put our hearts on the altar. God was directing our life. If this was what he ordained, we were okay. We weren't happy about it, but we were okay with it because we had committed ourselves completely to him. That's what God wants from each one of us. Not because we're in a plane about to crash, but because we're in life and he's got things for us to do and people to influence. And he wants to pursue holiness that they see Christ in us. Our director is directing every aspect of our life. That's what God wants. Dearly Father, I pray that each person here either has done that or is getting ready to do it, maybe even at this moment. Say, Lord, just take all of me, my mind, my body, my spirit. Help me to serve you better. Help me to love you more. Give me opportunities to influence other people. Use me, mold me, make me. I'm completely yours. That's my prayer for them this morning. And who knows what you will do 
as people make that commitment. We give you praise in your son's name. Amen.